Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord podcast, episode 16. I'm Ryan and I'm joined by another streaming media nerd, Hannah. Hey! Together, we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week, we gather here to find a great show to watch for the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We then review the prior week's selection and then pick a new show and do it all over again. This is a review show, so there probably will be spoilers within the show. This week's show is Star's American Gods. I watched it on Amazon Prime through the streaming service, but you could also get it through Stars. They have a standalone app as well. Yep, I also watched it on Prime. Our companion song for American Gods is American Gods Theme by Brian Retzel. So let's take a listen to that. like the theme song for this it's really kind of dark and moody and i like the mood of it and it's kind of grown on me as i've been watching the episodes as they release but initially i was like this sounds like garbage (laughs) i didn't like it i think the opening sequence too is also really weird because it's kind of trippy i like the opening sequence i like the visuals yeah you see all these images growing of like sort of ancient gods you'll see like ganesh in there and you'll see the buddha Mm -hmm. All these different things kind of mixed in with modern stuff. Yeah, it really sets it off well, the visual style. I just think it was the music. It just immediately hit me and I was like, am I watching a CW show? (laughs) What is this? I think the music for the rest of the show, I mean, we're getting kind of ahead here talking about the music, but for the rest of the show is actually really good. The songs fit the scene so well. Really good, except for the very first scene with the hooing and the hawing of the Viking song during the Odin sequence. I was just like, that is just really over the top. And then it got better immediately after, so. So American Gods is based on Neil Gaiman's 2001 novel American Gods. It was developed by Brian Fuller and Michael Green for television. And the executive producers, it's Brian Fuller, Michael Green, and Neil Gaiman is also involved as well. It's a big cast, so we'll go through kind of the list of the cast here. So you've got Ricky Whittle as Shadow Moon, who's the main character. Emily Browning as Laura Moon, his wife. Bruce Langley as Technical Boy. Yatid Badaki as Bilquis. Pablo Schreiber as Mad Sweeney. He was also on Orange is the New Black. It's actually Porn Stash. Oh, if you recognize... It's Porn Stash! Yeah. That's he really disappeared he into the role, too. If I didn't yeah. know that, I would not have picked him out. And then the always great Ian McShane is Mr. Wednesday in this. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Tucker is Loki Lysmith, who he meets in prison. Cloris Leachman is Zoria, I'm going to say this wrong, Zechenaria. She's one of the Slavic mythic creatures. Let me give it a crack. Vekshunaya. That works for me. There's some sisters there too. And then Peter Stormare is Chernabog, who's fantastic in that role. Yeah, he's really fabulous. Gillian Anderson is Media. Media first appears as I Love Lucy. And at first I was like, did they take Lucille Ball and- like digitally re digitally put her in this nope no it's jillian anderson holy crap <laughs> the acting in this is just across the board yeah. spectacular and then orlando jones is mr nancy in a really impactful performance like you don't see him very much but when you do it's on fire and then demise barnes is mr ibis that's the main cast in the first few episodes of the series 
So the kind of summary for American gods is there is a battle between the old gods and the new gods. The new gods are kind of these cultural ideas and forces that are gaining power, like media and technology and new world order and corporations and things like that. And they're battling kind of the older gods from essentially different immigrant groups to the U.S. have come over and brought their gods with them. And you get introduced to those gods in these really spectacular scenes that are coming to America scenes where you see the different gods come over. Yeah, the little vignettes are so cool. They are really, really cool. So that's kind of the overall plot of what's happening. But our main character and kind of our gateway into this fantastic mad world is Shadow Moon, who's in prison for kind of an unspecified crime. I think it's gambling related. And he is set to be released in a few days. And while he's in prison, he has a friend, Lysmith, who is telling him prison has a way of keeping you here. So once you get out, there's going to be all these traps that are going to try and pull you back in. And once you get out of prison, you need to do everything you can to stay out of prison. Yeah. And he finds out that he's actually going to be released a few days early, but it's not for a good reason. It's because his wife was in an auto accident and has died. With his best friend. In the And as the show progresses, you find out a little bit more about what happened. There. But at the beginning, that's pretty much what you know about. It. So Shadow is paroled early and then is trying to make his way home to his wife's funeral, almost like Odysseus on his journey. And along the way, all of these things keep conspiring to pull him either back to prison or stop him from getting to his wife's funeral. And along the way, he meets another traveler who is Mr. Wednesday. And Mr. Wednesday immediately knows all these things about Shadow that no one should know. Like he immediately knows he was in prison. He knows what happened to his wife. All of these things that he has no reason to know. And he recruits Shadow into Mm -hmm. his employ. To be his man. Yes, to be kind of his bodyguard and driver, accomplice, (laughs) errand boy. As they go on a series of adventures where they go around and they're meeting with these other people that Mr. Wednesday is trying to organize together for a war that he says is coming. And as Shadow goes kind of deeper into this world, it gets progressively weirder and weirder. And you realize, I think Shadow is at the point where he's either thinking there's obviously supernatural stuff going on, or I've gone completely insane. I've had a mental break when my wife died, or there's magic stuff going on. And I don't know which would be worse to be true. Yeah. And he turns to Mr. Wednesday as his guide. And Mr. Wednesday is not very comforting. He's seeking confirmation of like, did did you see this? Did that happen? Is this a thing that's going on now? And Mr. Wednesday's like, I don't know. What do you think? Are you going crazy? Um, that's not helpful. (laughs) There's actually a really great line that he has about madness where he says, what is it? Their biggest sacrifices one can be asked to make than going a little mad. That's such a Neil Gaiman quote. It's interesting too, you were talking about Mr. Wednesday is not comforting because spoiler alert here, Mr. Wednesday is actually a incarnation or aspect of Odin, the old Norse god, who is a war god. Like when you're introduced to him, it's a very violent meeting of Vikings landing in gushing blood and eye poking out. People slaughtering each other. There's actually a great scene where the Vikings land and then they come to shore. The first scout who's going in gets hit with like hundreds of arrows in a second. Like every inch of his body is covered with arrows and he kind of collapses 
down and they say that the gods of of this land do not welcome them here yeah Yeah, and they're trapped the wind won't let them sail away so they have to make all these sacrifices to their war gods to odin so they end up poking their eyes out and slaughtering each other in battle and that doesn't work and they hang a guy well it starts a little bit of wind like it got his attention yeah they said they knew that odin would answer their prayers but he probably wouldn't know to look so far to the west Mm -hmm. so they had to get his attention in a really dramatic way so that's your first introduction to him but odin is also kind of a knowledge and mystery god in norse mythology in order to gain wisdom he ends up taking his eye out which is why the vikings there do that and he ends up hanging himself from the tree of knowledge and staring into this reflecting pool where he gains knowledge so he's never gonna give shadow answers for nothing knowledge comes with a price Mm -hmm. with odin and madness and knowledge are very closely like linked together so i think that that kind of reflects in his character and there's also kind of a parallel where the new gods find shadow and there's two symbolic things that are happening here right shadow is african-american and the new gods they basically lynch him from a tree yeah which has all kinds of commentary for racial things that are happening and have Mm -hmm. happened and it also parallels odin's journey into wisdom there too and i think it's also an interesting parallel of how the tech boom has left victimized you hear this coming from san francisco especially like the tech kids come in and gentrify the neighborhoods which means they move in and drive up the rents and people who had a culture there get driven out and how this white supremacy hasn't ended because we've been introduced to new technology it's changed and i also thought it was interesting too that when digital boy sets his goons on him there are these faceless internet creatures that yeah. <laughs> they're like i hate to compare it to power rangers because that's not a very good comparison it's yeah. almost like the putty creatures from power rangers mm-hmm. who kind of also look like what's the book and movie with the fancy british fascists who drink milk and have the thing with the eye where they peel it back blanking on the name clockwork, clockwork orange? orange they kind of remind yeah. me in the way that they dress they're droogies yes. i think that was definitely an homage they kind of reminded me also of slender man yes who is yet another horror birthed from the internet it's an internet meme that has sort of come to life in a way ish because two girls who claim to have been worshiping him tried to kill another girl so there you go which ties into this through the power Mm -hmm. of their faith they made the thing real yeah this show is all about faith and belief manifesting these aspects of these gods and they're not quite the same as their original incarnation they're assimilated and of course the old gods when we are introduced to them are all they're diminished as Bilquis would say she says she's diminished she's changed she's less than when we meet the Egyptian guide of the dead when he goes to Mm -hmm. talk to the person a woman who's a Arab immigrant who ends up dying and he guides her into the afterlife because her grandmother had told her the old stories so she knows about him and that's why he's able to come to her she had embraced that as Shadow and Mr. Wednesday go along they meet all these other characters like they meet mad sweeney who's a leprechaun he's a six foot tall leprechaun people were talking about the difference is he a stereotype or is he an archetype Mm, mm -hmm. so the difference the two sound very similar to each other but the difference is an archetype there's this ideal that there's a universal like if you were having an archetype for a chair somewhere there's the perfect ideal of the chair and then every chair in the physical world (laughs) is like a reflection of that chairness like it has the essence of being a chair the chairness yeah 
That's how my first philosophy teacher kind of explained platonic forms to me. I've heard the chairness explanation and it makes me chuckle every time. So, <laughs> And then a stereotype is where you see an aspect from something and then you apply it all to the rest of the group. You generalize it. So the two are kind of closely related. It's really more like the negative connotations that stereotypes have mm -hmm. or usage. And I don't really feel like Mad Sweeney comes across as a stereotype. He is the hard drinking, will always fight you with the drop of a hat, <laughs> Irish trickster, which yeah. is kind of a racial archetype or stereotype that they have. But I think mm -hmm. they do it well because it really ties into luck with him. He has this coin that he has that is his source of his luck and Shadow wins it from him in a bar brawl. And then you get to see his descent into horrible luck when he doesn't have the coin. When he doesn't have his power. And there's actually a part where Shadow, when he goes to his wife's grave, you find out more about yes. what actually happened with his wife. That she was probably having an affair. She died in a car accident because she was administering roadhead to Shadow's best friend. Right, who was distracted and crashed. One last hurrah. The reason why one shouldn't do roadhead, really. <laughs> Don't do roadhead, kids. <laughs> Drive real slow, people. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> Just do it in a plate while you're not operating a motor vehicle or a tractor or farm equipment. All right, you farm kids. I'm not going to come out against it. I can't. Oh, dear. <laughs> The wife of the best friend is thoroughly trashed during this funeral. Like you do. And this is actually one of the few performances I was not a big fan of. It's very over the top when she does it. But she's like really crude. She's yeah. like, oh, Shadow, didn't you know your wife Ugh. died with my husband's cock in her mouth? And she bit it off and severed it to the root. So it's real graphic when she lays it out. Like there's a lot of pain there. And she tries to like revenge fuck him on their graves. And Shadow is like, A, you're drunk. And B, no. <laughs> mm -mm. And also in the book, he didn't even really like her very much as a person. She doesn't seem like a likable person. While that's all going on, at the end where he's asking her, like, mm -hmm. what did you do? And he takes the coin and he throws it on the grave as he walks away. And later on, that comes back to be important because in kind of a cliffhanger in one of the last episodes, you find her again, that she's like risen from the dead. Okay, puppy. Because that coin is the embodiment of luck and it's probably not going to end well. She's back. The concept of gifting somebody something of value is really important in a lot of these old traditions. So it follows the guest rules of where you give people bread and salt. And once you have accepted them as a guest, you can't kill them and they're not supposed to kill you either. The basic laws of early society. Otherwise, we wouldn't have survived as a species because we would have just poisoned each other and everybody would have died at dinner. <laughs> they also, as they journey, they come across the old yeah. Slavic gods. There's three sisters who are kind of prophets who watch the stars and they're almost like the maiden mother crone thing or the different times of the day some of them watch the sky some of them are the the crone figure and when shadow meets them what i thought was really one of the best performances in the show is shernabog that's just amazing performance it's hard yeah to stand up to Ian McShane in a scene and not have him steal it from you. And he goes toe to toe with him. And Peter Stormare, he has such a presence. He's such a big man and he has a really deep yes. voice. And he's also really creepy just in general. And so... I've never seen him in anything before, but I would watch him in anything after this. Oh yeah, he's in Fargo. Yeah, he's the big guy that 
put in the other guy in the wood. Oh, that's right. Fargo. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even recognize him. I think he's also in the movie with the dude, the other Coen Brothers movie. Oh, the Big Lebowski. And in this, he's playing the Slavic god of the night, and his brother is the god of the day. And he actually has an interesting part where he says, we're so old now that my hair used to be black and his used to be blonde, but now we're both so salt and pepper gray that you can't tell mm-hmm. the difference between us anymore, which I thought was really interesting. And he has this hammer that he kills people with. Yeah. And Mr. Wednesday wants him to join his army. And in order to do that, this is, again, very much like a fairy tale or a myth, right? He challenges Shadow to a game. And if he wins the game, he's going to go with Mr. Wednesday. But if he loses, that he gets to kill Shadow. That Shadow will willingly submit to him and he'll be able to slaughter him like they used to slaughter cattle Mm -hmm. before they had the little bolt thing that you see in No Country for Old Men, right? That he wants to do it with with the hammer between the eyes in the head. Because that takes skill. Yes. The way he holds the hammer is kind of very phallic. It's a little masturbatory. He runs his hand up and down and then the blood pours forth from it. There's a lot of penis in this show. It's true. We'll get to a (laughs) sex scene where ladies, you get some full frontal male nudity here. Twice we do. Not just the ladies showing their bits. (laughs) Everyone Mm -hmm. here. So Shadow loses this game of chance with him and is supposed to be killed in the morning. But then Shadow not exactly tricks the god, but he comes to him and tells him, it's been a long time since you've done this. Modern technology has taken away you practicing these kills and you value doing this cleanly and the right way so much. What if you miss? What if you hit me in the head? Because you only get one swing. That was our deal. One swing of your hammer and you leave me crippled and brain damaged and you have to live with Mm -hmm. that knowing that you've fallen. So he offers to play him again to give him not to not get killed because that was the deal that he's going to die. But if, if he wins, he'll get a second swing of the hammer and if he loses, then he'll go with Mr. Wednesday and then at the end of that quest, then he can kill Shadow and he's able to beat him that time. Very crafty of Shadow and I think that's sort of an important aspect of Shadow's character is he comes off as people look at him and think, oh, big dumb black dude, angry dude, whatever. They write him off and then he's very intelligent and clever and he also has a really firm moral. There's certain lines that he won't cross. When he signs up with Mr. Wednesday, he tells him he's loyal. But he tells him that he won't hurt anyone for profit or for fun. Yeah. Someone comes after Mr. Wednesday to hurt them, then he's, yeah. he will stop them. But he's not going to hurt people for money. or People don't expect that. What I was thinking about was Shadow, too. And I mean, even his name tells you, like, Shadow is kind of the interplay between light and dark mm-hmm. here, right? That Shadow is kind of in limbo. Yes. You see him, he's out of prison, but he can't get home. He's kind of in between life and death with his wife until he can bury her. He's in between our world and their world. Yes, he's in the in-between. And Lysmith, who, kind of spoiler, Loki. the Norse god Loki, tells him that the world has gone to hell since they stopped hanging people because there's no gallows dirt, no gallows humor, no gallows gallows deals and here you almost have shadow making that crosswords deal with i don't want to say the devil but the force that can give you what you want it's interesting how mr wednesday manipulates reality around him to get what he Mm -hmm. wants like he says over time i get what i want that's my power all the things that manipulate shadow into joining up is just one series of unfortunate events that keep him from getting where he wants until finally he agrees to with wednesday and so you're left wondering did mr 
Mr. Wednesday engineer these things to happen so that he would gain Shadow. You get glimpses that Shadow is more than just a normal person, that there are reasons why the new gods and the old gods want this person. It's hinted at very strongly that he has the ability to also alter reality in ways also. Mm -hmm. That when he meditates on it and thinks about it, that he can, for example, make it snow, cause a blizzard to hit the city. So it's almost like he's a priest and all the gods are going to him to be their priest rather than the person choosing which god these gods are choosing their person it's kind of a reverse of that in my opinion you want to talk about mr nancy kind of tying in with some of the racial overtones they have with like the lynching so the first episode ends with shadow being lynched and then the second one he's rescued somehow this happens everyone's slightly surprised and then we go into mr nancy's arrival scene and he is anansi the spider god of stories and tricks he comes about because enslaved africans are in the hold of a ship and pray to the spider web and ask for anansi to come to them he does and he appears to us as a black man in a fabulous suit with a fedora almost like a zoot suit it's slightly iridescent and he spits the truth speaks with in aave and he just lays it out what the future of the black man the black people who come to america what what their world will be what their reality will be i think orlando jones in that scene just said it i mean literally set it on fire but he literally set it on fire his performance is all in full of passion and fire and it was fabulous and the fury righteous hate of the oppressed he tells them what's going to happen to them that you're going to be a slave your children are going to be slaves even when you get freed hundreds of years after that they're still going to shoot you in the street he lays yeah. out path that's before them and tells them now that you know all this there's no reason not to go up there murder everyone on the ship and burn it to the ground yep anasaze frees them from the web that they're in through violence and fire and blood and also gives himself that sacrifice yes that's enough to bear him to our shore and here he is just like odin had to have his vikings do their sacrifices mm-hmm. he has his sacrifice as well it kind of has a when lost girl came out the canadian tv show about the succubus who lives in the realm between the fairies and our reality amazing show it's on netflix go watch it one of the better cw after dark shows basically is how i think of it yeah it's amazing just watch it people compare it to american gods a lot so there's this sense of these magical creatures feeding off of the mortal people in some way there's a symbiotic relationship there or maybe it's a little bit more parasitic especially in Bilquis's case <laughs> as soon as you said that it made me think of Bilquis who so Bilquis is she's like an ancient fertility goddess mm-hmm. her actual thing is she's the queen of Sheba the queen of Sheba comes to Solomon's court and impresses him and shows him like the wisdom and seduces him and all of this with her riches so she mm-hmm. used to be the queen of Sheba queen of Babylon the fertility goddess of the world and she's fallen onto hard times since then one of the most ancient of deities of archetypes even but fell out of favor after we historically that type of goddess fell out of favor after we settled and started doing agriculture and understood that no babies don't come from magic 
babies come from sex. One thing I found that was kind of interesting with her is you see her as the kind of ancient idea of female sexuality and fertility and power. And then you also mm-hmm. have Media, who is the new version of female sexuality. She's much more overt. Like Bilquis is very mysterious. Media is in your face. Yeah. Bilquis seduces you and is very mysterious. And Media asks you if you want to see your tits. They're very, very different from each other. That juxtaposition is interesting. I think the treatment of Bilquis in the show, she's kind of, oh, well, it's stars. So let's just have a whole bunch of sex scenes. So, well, her thing is she absorbs the people. And it turns out she uh, engages in coitus with someone. She absorbs them through her vagina into her being. And we get this fabulous space vulva scene. (laughs) Literally, there's a dude with an erection flying through interstellar space and then you see the brief outline of a vulva as you're going through and so it's kind of like this Ouroboros of you're birthed, you live and then you are taken back into the unbirth in a way. It's a doorway. The treatment of it is sort of it's this montage of sex and I appreciate that they also added oh, there's lesbians right. <laughs> in this universe. She doesn't have sex with women in the book. So I appreciate that they added that aspect of it, but I think she ends up being used as like titties. When she's looking at the old shattered remnants of jewelry and things, she kind of puts her hand over it and they start reforming into mm-hmm. almost like a regal headdress, full body thing of like jewels and riches. So I think that now that she's absorbed all these people's powers, she's ready to reclaim her queen status. That's how I interpreted that. There's this incredible sense of loss to her as well, of this loss of status and power. I'm interested to see if they take it in a different direction from the book or how that goes. In the novel, she's a sex worker. And in the show, she's hooking up with people off the internet. She's like a Tinder date (laughs) of the nightmares. So the sexuality in here isn't just limited normally like it would be to here's some naked women and some heterosex and then some lesbians thrown in because lesbians are always social, not always, but more socially acceptable. Lesbians are hot when they're performing for men. So that didn't really surprise me to see that in a show. What did surprise me is in the third episode, you have a gay sex scene. There's actually a whole relationship yes. with the show. Like, it ends with them having sex. They build it up really well. So there's this immigrant, he's from Oman, who meets this taxi driver mm-hmm. who's an Afrit. He's a jen. He's a genie is what we twist that into. Yeah, the Afrits are the fire jen. So it's actually, there's a lot of stuff in Islam that's interesting about genie, but we won't really go too much into that. But Yeah, I had a friend explain it to me. I guess to explain, they sort of occupy like a parallel universe to ours, and they can some interact with us and mess with us but they're very real within that culture and they're there they're just on the other side you don't want to make them mad the way my friend described it she was like i've just always been deeply creeped out by it because she was from that culture she's it was just like they would live in our house and our house is also their house and first of all the actual sex scene is extremely explicit just like the bilquist scene is this isn't a fade to black implied No, there's full nudity, there's fire semen, there's penetration and realistic positioning. I read something where the director made them reshoot it because he looked at it and was like, that doesn't work. He wouldn't be in anything from that angle. Like, we have to really do this for real. Somebody pointed out to me that it's the most 
graphic sex scene in a somewhat mainstream gay sex scene in a somewhat mainstream cable television show and high time. I would agree. If that had been a heterosexual sex scene, that would have been one of the most explicit scenes, I think. But it wouldn't have seemed that odd to you. You would just been like, oh, they're really going for it on cable. But it's more, I don't want to say mm-hmm. shocking necessarily, but it's high time and interesting to see gay characters who are actually allowed to have gay love interests and sex and not just be fabulously funny mm-hmm. and swishy that they actually get to actually express and act upon mm-hmm. their sexuality just like anyone else in the series. It's a commentary on a, a culture where heterosexism and homophobia are very real the scene itself is almost it's almost sweet yes that's what i liked about it is the way they set it up is it's so both people are kind of lost when they meet each other they're both in positions that they don't want to Mm -hmm. be in they're both immigrants and there's this almost like tender where they put their hand on the person's shoulder or they're feeling each other out and realizing they have this deeper connection before you get to the bone in which you get to there's an intimacy there and that's not how speak heterosexism we conceptualize gay men's relationships think of it as in a bathroom somewhere and they're tapping each other's toes and whatnot and that does happen but that's just part of it that's not the whole experience of how people love it is explicit it is sexual it is all of that but it's in the same way that they treat heterosex there's no difference in the way that they portray the two so Mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting was that something that was uncomfortable for you to see not really i don't normally see a lot of full frontal male nudity so when i first saw that i was like oh all right Mm -hmm. we're doing this and then when they started having sex like you were saying i'm like (laughs) this doesn't look like movie sex or where you see the two people lying in bed and they have the sheet like perfectly draped over their body that's not what this was at all this felt like you were watching mm-hmm. two people have actual sex and then there's the part where the guy yeah. has the orgasm and like the fire shoots through the person's body and i'm like well that's really graphic but that's also a really nice way to illustrate what's happening there so mm-hmm. i didn't find it disturbing or shocking or anything like that i think it was done both very graphically but very tastefully as well because they do set it up ahead of time yeah, it's well, it's very well. I mean, obviously, one of them is a gin, but it's human. They're not seen as an other. It, it's dealt with the same way that they dealt with heterosex. Thumbs up. I agree. I thought it works well with the show. I didn't think it distracted. I think it added to the show. I thought it was well done. Give it a shot, guys. If you're normally, you would be upset by that, that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe think about like, why that's so weird for you. I personally think that the best TV shows give you something to think about right? Your uncomfortableness with this gives you something mm-hmm. to think about. Like, why were you okay with the Bilquis scenes where they're going at it, hardcore cable, and then there's this scene, which is almost exactly the same, yeah. but you are uncomfortable with one and comfortable with the other one. And I think the Bilquis scene is also really powerful because it's not the usual power exchange is the word that comes to mind. Thanks. <laughs> BDSM scene. But it's not the usual power dynamic that happens in a lot of cis male and is female sex it's she absorbs the power and she goes and literally takes the man into herself she is a very old goddess she is from a time before when women were yes much more powerful when their mysterious fertility gave them power Mm -hmm. and and wisdom and knowledge reverence she's actually quite a sad figure and overall i think that this show the acting is spectacular every single person on this just gives great performances the special effects are pretty good it's weird 
weird and trippy. Like it feels like you're on an acid trip or mm -hmm. a descent into madness in some ways as it gets very, if you've seen the new Doctor Strange movie where they start getting into some of the more trippy stuff, there's a lot of stuff in here that is very similar to that. I'm going to keep watching and I'm definitely impressed and it's definitely a very faithful and well-rendered adaptation of, of the novel. I think it makes sense whether you've read the book or not. I don't think... Yeah, that was kind of what I was wondering too. And I think it helps that you're not supposed to know the answer. The character you are seeing things through is mm -hmm. Shadow who also doesn't understand. Diamond is a master for these things that don't make sense are because you don't have all the pieces yet, not because he doesn't have the answers. So it will be revealed over time. Like you'll learn as Shadow. Yeah, it works. I've been watching it with my husband and he hadn't read the book, but he's read other Gaiman works and he watched it was like I'm not quite sure what's going on and I'm like that's okay because you're not supposed to it's gonna be a while so just hang on and you know you'll figure it out as you go just like Mr. Wednesday will make you do the work for the knowledge you gotta watch the show and think about it and puzzle it out what are you rating it when I first came to it I just knew Ian McShane was gonna be in it and that was gonna be enough for me but the fact that every other actor is pretty much able to hold their own with him makes this a great show for me it, it's really good I enjoy it I think I will give it five Mad Sweeney's coins I'm gonna give it four and a half breasts with veins like fine cheese <laughs> uh wednesday does have a way with words yeah that's pretty fabulous i mean he also says always better dead than forgotten and i think that is a major theme making your way in the world today takes everything you got taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot wouldn't you like to get away <laughs> It's real hard to read that without singing, yeah. but I resist. Every week, we each bring a show to consider watching. We each vote for a show, and we cannot vote for our own show. Which, if you're paying attention, means no one can win this week. Yeah. So we have a whole new way of doing it. So we're each going to nominate a show, and then in honor of Mad Sweeney and his coin, we'll do a coin flip, and whoever wins, the, we'll do a virtual coin flip. Whoever wins the coin flip, then that'll be their show. I want to nominate The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks tells a story that I think needs to be told of how a woman's literal genetic material is taken advantage of and profited off of by white corporate America and how that story becomes told to the rest of us. So the show that I want to recommend is Master of None from Netflix. This is Aziz Ansari's show. It won an Emmy. It's So this is the story of his character, who's a second-generation Indian-American. And it's a comedy, and it deals with a lot of modern-day struggles and situations and relationships. And his actual parents are playing his parents on the show, which is kind of interesting. There's an interesting subplot and themes in here about the acting jobs that he and his Indian American friends are offered. It's like they can be cab drivers or tech support, <laughs> but there aren't really a lot of deep or interesting roles for them, and that plays out in the show. Certainly not a romantic lead. Right. And this is a romantic comedy. It's touching. It's heartwarming. It feels very speaking to the human experience. It's hilarious. I'd really like to go back and watch it. Season two just came out on Netflix. We would go back and watch season one this time. All right, so do you want heads or tails? Heads. All right, let's do it. Give me a second here. I'm going to pull up a coin flipping app or something like that. Or you could use a literal coin, Ryan. 
I don't have an actual coin. Oh, actual coins? What? <laughs> money? You mean actual paper or coin money? No, I don't carry that anymore. All right, it is, let's flip, it's heads. So that means our show will be The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. So that was American Gods. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts, Four Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews, at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. Those things do really help us out. So take a second. Yes. Click on it. Like us. Leave us feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. We really do listen and try and take that into account. You can hit us up on the Facebook page. And make sure you come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds. Bye.